Welcome to Veterans in America. I'm Stephanie O'Neill. And I'm David Gorn. Veterans in America is a podcast that tackles issues that matter to American veterans, to their friends, to their families. It's produced by the nonprofit RAND Corporation. Join with us as we journey into veterans' lives and explore the issues they and their families face when they return home and what can be done to make their lives better. Today, we're going to take a hard look at a tough topic. Women in the military face a much higher risk of suicide than civilian women, about two to five times higher the risk. And the rate of suicide among women in the service has increased at twice the pace as their male counterparts in the military. Not too many people know about this because of the shame and stigma associated with suicide, particularly when you're talking about mothers or young women. It's a tough one to face. No one really wants to think about it. And that's one reason it's so important to talk about it. If no one knows about the high suicide risk of so many women veterans, not much can ever get done to help them. We hope by bringing some faces to these tough statistics, we can better understand what's happening to cause so many young women to take their lives. And the big question we had is why? Military experts have some theories. One was that women weren't ready for combat situations. They weren't used to war. Studies do show women have had post-traumatic stress disorder from combat situations, but at roughly the same rate as men. Another theory is that financial pressures might be a little greater for women, but RAND researchers looking for the defining causes of suicide did find there was one reason far more pervasive and commonplace than the others, to the point where it may be the answer everyone's been searching for. And we're going to let a couple of women tell you about it. My name is Antoinette Wallace. And maybe her accent gives this away. I thought I lost it. <laughs> I guess not. I grew up in Staten Island, New York. <laughs> Wallace was a senior in high school, fun-loving and gregarious, and her life changed on September 11, 2001, as she and her classmates looked out the high school's big windows across the harbor to Manhattan. Grew up looking at the World Trade Center. I, you know, our city was always right there. You have to understand, Staten Island is one big commuter town, and where a lot of those neighbors and relatives commute to was the World Trade Center. And then we heard a plane come over, and in Manhattan... You don't hear planes too often, especially loud ones. Wallace watched the Twin Towers go down, along with her horror-stricken and disbelieving senior class. The first tower fell, and we were all just like, oh, my God, and then... Now you can see the firemen assembled here, the police officers, FBI agents. The second tower fell, that was, you know, it broke us. It was like, this is this is just crazy. Like, we can't even believe that this is happening. Wallace had never thought about joining the military until that moment. She went into it with the full force of teenage certainty. Not that she was doing something noble and good, necessarily, but that she was doing something. It changed everything in me. And I just, I couldn't just stand back and I just felt so conflicted of what can I do? You know, I can, I can join the military and at least do something like to honor those whose lives were lost that day. She liked the military, the routine, the discipline. Four years into her service, Wallace did an active duty tour in Iraq in 2005 for Operation Iraqi Freedom 3, stationed near Tikrit, Saddam Hussein's hometown. That was where her life changed again, this time for the worse. And it had nothing to do with combat. I was assaulted when I was in country by um, a superior officer. She was walking home from the gym and trusted him to walk with her. 
when you're in basic training, they they basically tell you, like, you guys have each other's back. Uh, you know, you can always count on your battle buddy and don't go anywhere without your battle buddy because they're the ones that are going to save you. And yet the person that's supposed to have my back was the one that betrayed me the most. Um, you know, he was wearing the same uniform as me. In that moment, everything was taken away from me. Here's the thing in the military. It's a closed loop, a really small town. You can't get away from people. Everybody knows everybody. And you can't make a fuss, especially against your superior officer. Wallace kept playing the whole thing back and forth in her mind, how she could have done this or that differently. She didn't tell her friends, her boyfriend, her commanding officers, just tried to ride it out. But meanwhile, knowing this guy could be right around the corner, she stopped going out. I basically just became like numb. I became like the shell of a person. And, you know, people started to kind of see me withdraw a little. Um, I lost a lot, a lot of weight. I wasn't, you know, I didn't want to really go to the chow hall that often. And um, I just, I just was falling apart, basically. Wallace found herself hoping and praying everything would be okay if she could just get back to the States. Being home, though, brought home just how badly she felt, and the pain and grief just swamped her. I remember coming home and just telling my parents I was really, really tired, that I just wanted to sleep. And um, I I had a bunk bed in my room at the time because a friend from high school lived with me, so my parents got uh, bunk beds. Um, so she had a place to sleep, and I put up uh, from the top bunk to the lower bunk a blanket to block out light and just give me, like, privacy. Um, and I laid in that bed for days, days. She told her friends and family she was just tired, really, really tired. Meanwhile, you know, I was just trying to hide the fact that I was crying and I'm so depressed and felt so lost and lonely. You know, I was kind of like a social butterfly before I left for Iraq. It was not me to like stay home and not answer my phone or not go out with my friends. She was stuck, inside outside, as they say. Her military life felt hopeless, and no one knew what was going on with her in civilian life. She tried to kill herself many times over. My go-to was uh, trying to self-numb and alcohol and prescription pills. Just a fistful of pills, and you know, if it worked, it worked. If it didn't, I would I would just try again. Truthfully, I don't even know what to say right now. It's hard to imagine this energetic live wire of a woman killing herself. It was very close a couple times. And, you know, my mom brought me to the ER so many times at points that I can't even remember. Um, and I would just wake up in the ER thinking, like, what am I doing here? I wouldn't even remember getting there. Now, here's what happened to turn it all around. Two things, according to Wallace, and they happened at pretty much the exact same time. She decided she needed help, and she got unwavering, unconditional support from her parents. Basically, I, I crawled into bed with them one night after work and just told them I just couldn't go on anymore. And that I, I just, you know, was I, I just didn't want to wake up the next day. Um, so they had me, like, sleep with them in between them for a couple months until they got me into an inpatient program for sexual trauma at the VA. In the service, they have an acronym for just about everything. This one they call MST, Military Sexual Trauma. 
And according to recent research, it's the thing that stands out most as the biggest contributor to the spike in suicide risk for women veterans. Not the only contributor, but the biggest. Rajiv Ramchand is a former Rand Corporation researcher, and he says the combat PTSD notion can certainly contribute, but that doesn't account for the faster rising incidence of suicide among women in the service compared to men. VA patients who screen positive for military sexual trauma have a higher risk of dying by suicide than those who don't. So, so there is really strong evidence, I think, to suggest that sexual trauma is a significant risk factor for suicide. And a lot of them screen positive. According to the VA, almost one in four women veterans reported being a victim of military sexual trauma, and most of them say it happened during deployment overseas. To get at the root cause of why so many women in the service think about suicide, Ramshan's research team talked to responders on the Veterans Crisis Hotline to document why women were calling, why they were in crisis, if they might be receptive to services. Late at night, they would get calls from women who were just overwhelmed. A lot of women veterans who were calling in were calling in because they had experienced military sexual trauma, and something recently had happened that had triggered thoughts of that experience. One other common trigger for suicidal thoughts was financial pressure, and that applied to women's willingness or ability to go to therapy sessions. Not so much because of the cost of the appointments themselves, but the expense of lost work and childcare. Ramshan says whatever the triggers, one thing is clear. He has talked to so many people who have lost a child or a partner to suicide, and one factor almost always seems to emerge. We have a natural phenomenon, kind of broadly, globally, that women have a lower suicide rate than men. And what we found is a subpopulation where that's not the case among veterans. That's not the case. So the question is why? I think experiences of military sexual trauma are significant. The solution to all of this is simple and complicated. Ramshan says the research shows there's a tremendous opportunity to keep many women from killing themselves by reducing the occurrence of sexual assault in the first place. One of the best places to turn is looking at sexual assault prevention in the military. I think that if you reduce sexual assaults in the military, you can ultimately have an impact on female veteran suicide rates. I talked to another woman veteran who said that just being in the service can drive you slowly crazy. Women, she says, are constantly put down, called names, treated badly, sneered at, on a daily basis. She had a great term for it. She called it a blanket of ugliness. On a recent Monday night in a community center gym, on a safe street in a safe neighborhood in Chesapeake, Virginia, Taniki Richard is living a gifted life. She's sitting next to her youngest son, Terry, watching her husband referee a kid's basketball game. And that's something she never thought she'd be doing after intentionally wrapping her car around a light pole at a marine base in Cherry Point, North Carolina. What drove her to that was complicated, she said, but her story begins with the negative military culture that she says beats you down and keeps you down. The culture of the Marine Corps in the time that I served, there's this way that men and women who who work together had to operate under. It was a, a blanket of ugliness. It was just socially accepted. And anyone who spoke out against that or pointed out, hey, this is wrong, would be ostracized, criticized, or um, basically picked on. 
She's talking about being ridiculed and belittled not only because she's a woman, but doubly because she's black, as a matter of course, pretty much every day. I would try to bring a situation to my male leaders and they're automatically, you know, what are you bitching about now? That's that. Don't talk to me that way. And I would say that. And then they would say, well, you're belligerent. You're rude. You have an attitude and you're a black woman with an attitude. Sister, sister Shaniqua. Richard also said she was sexually assaulted at one point, but doesn't attribute her nervous breakdown simply to that. I have a complex version of post-traumatic stress from combat and military sexual trauma. It was a conglomerate of that that pushed me over the edge. It was the bullying military culture, she said, that set it all up, along with the culture of forced silence and cover-up. And she just got fed up with it. I signed up to put my life on the line for freedom. I didn't sign up for my body to be touched inappropriately. I didn't sign up for me to be sexually harassed. I didn't sign up for that. I signed up to do a job. And I think that military people who make that claim and suck it up buttercup are are really lacking the compassion that it takes to effectively lead. So listen, just one story. Let her tell this one story, then we'll move on. This one was really typical, she says, and it's set in California on the long, lonely, and often desolate Highway 5, which runs the entire length of California. I had a gunnery sergeant who offered to take me home for the weekend because my car was shut down. He was my actual superior in my shop. So he took me home, and along the way, he talked about his daughters, he talked about his wife, and then he asked me for sex. So here's the thing. After she said no, he pulled over in the middle of nowhere. Instead of him taking me all the way home, he left me on the side of the highway on the five in California. And he put my bags out and he said he had an emergency and he had to go. Even though she has told this story before, she still shakes her head in disbelief. That's what happens in the Marine Corps. These are the things that happen. Richard's story follows a similar arc to Wallace's in that her PTSD from frontline combat and sexual harassment overseas manifested in a suicide attempt years after she arrived back in the U.S. So I would go in the bathroom and I would cry, but then I would get myself together and come out and smile like nothing was happening. It was living literally a double life. When I woke up from the uh, car crash, I was on the stretcher and I said, I need help. I need help. This is, I had two children at the time and I was about to leave them behind because of something that I was not ready to face myself. After she crashed her car, Richard asked for help and decided to leave what she saw as a toxic environment in the Marines that would punish her for seeking help and certainly never aid in her recovery. Eventually, she recovered. She fell in love. She married. She now takes joy in simple things, like driving to her husband's junior rec league basketball games. And she has a message for women who are facing what she faced. If you're truly struggling with a darkness inside of you, a hopelessness, um, that depression that nobody cares, and you feel like the only way out is to end your life, 
because of a past situation or a negative environment that you're you feel like you have no choice to deal with. There is hope for you when you say no more. You have to be willing to give up the very thing that's hurting you so that you can get better and you can get the support that you need. You must advocate for yourself first. And the people who will hear that cry in the night will come to your aid. There are people who care about you and you don't even have to know their first name. They just know that they can be there for you in the way that you need when you say, hey, I need help. You and only you know the burden that is too heavy. So I want to share with you my story because there was a time where I wore the face and I wore that mask and I wore it until it wore me out. But there is hope for you. You can take off your mask. You don't have to suffer in silence. You can get help. I want to personally thank Taniki Richard and Antoinette Wallace and their families for sharing their stories. And thank you to the Wounded Warrior Project for putting us in touch with them. Veterans in America is a podcast produced by the RAND Corporation, a nonprofit research organization developing solutions to public policy challenges to help make communities throughout the world safer and more secure, healthier, and more prosperous. We would like to thank everyone at the RAND Corporation and our stellar engineer, Kevin Ferguson. Our theme song is called Too Cool. It's by Kevin McLeod. You can find more music at his website, incompetech.com. He also produced the interstitial music used in this week's episode. For Veterans in America, I'm David Gorn. And I'm Stephanie O'Neill.